Howdy. You're listening to WIUX LP Bloomington, and this is American Student Radio. I'm James Keyes, and I'll be your host for this week. Buckle up, because we're about to go on a pretty metaphysical ride. We're going to dig deep into truths, lies, self-identity, and all things imposter. I think I need to do like the same. Hello! Hello. Live from... Awesome. Okay, great. Live from Indiana University, University in Bloomington. Bloomington. This is... This is... Hot. It's a hot mic. This is American, American Student Radio. Radio. That's pretty great. Is it like a sound, or is it like... Fresh, crunching snow. Two hours of finger-picking... Very good ASMR content. <laughs> Tragic, but also really beautiful. Lying doesn't always reflect poorly on us. We tell white lies to protect each other's feelings and lie politely to bring conversations to a swift end. Lying is built into our very existence, sometimes with fun consequences. In this piece, producer Sophia Mustin introduces us to three of her friends, all of them imposters. Oh my god, there's so much pressure now. <laughs> oh, they're national park cards. I don't want to play BS, I just want to look at these cards. <laughs> Please, Julie, deal the cards. I'm watching three queens playing a card game. The fourth queen is holding the mic. That better make it into the recording. There can't be a fifth queen, so if you're listening, you're not welcome either. I think I remember playing this game with jokers, where the joker could be anything you wanted. Mm. So someone Ooh, could be like five queens. So if you're listening, up to two more queens are welcome in this party. <laughs> two aces. One, two. Four threes. Two fours. One five. Four sixes. Three sevens. Two eights. Four nines. Peanut butter. <laughs> Peanut butter rules are when uh, one you jack. lie, and then you have to Two announce queens. it to the group. So then the group gets Four a sense of whether kings. they can trust you or not. Who's going to call it? If any of us had a king, we would call it, but we don't, so we're not going to. Yeah. One ace. Uh, two twos. One three. One four. And then... <gasps> Oh, should I take it back? No, you already put it no, down. No, I did. You, you can't. Put it down. You already you put, it put it down. Take it back. Did you lie? Peanut butter. Hey, the stakes are high. Three fives. Peanut butter. One six. <laughs> BS. <laughs> I had one card, and I just got back. Uh, twenty-seven. This game is actually pretty good because there's a good like negative number? feedback loop. If you have a lot of cards, you're losing, but you're more powerful. Yeah. Mm. If you have few cards, you're more likely to gain <laughs> Two eights. BS. Take them. Nine, nine, nine. Casual German. <laughs> Two nines. One ten. BS. This is like that Spider-Man meme where everyone's pointing at each other. <laughs> yes. One jack. Two queens. Sasha and Valor. One king. <laughs> BS. Yeah. One ace. I feel like I am not having any advantage from knowing you both. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as telling That's when you're the last four years. <laughs> well, BS. <laughs> True. Peanut butter. Three fives. One six. Was that what we were on? The yeah. lying is written into the rules sure. of this yeah. game, so mm-hmm. everyone knows it's happening. Everyone I expects know. it's happening. It's so seven. acceptable for it to happen. Um, BS. 
Yep. <laughs> but IRL, it's not that way. And at the same time, in a way, it's also worse in this game Two than weeks. many times that we lie in our own lives. Because <laughs> even though there's no real consequences in this game, you are lying in a way that actively hurts other people. <laughs> Two jacks. I wish I could show you Kat's eyes right now. <laughs> very, very suspicious. very suspicious. Card games have their own morality that separate them from the morality yeah, that governs our daily lives. Yeah. <laughs> okay, one game. I'll let it slide then, this time. You know that at the end of this game, whoever wins or loses, we're all gonna come out of this as friends still. What have I got to lose? BS. Yeah, I was a BS. Yes! Are we, are we playing until someone wins? Ideally, but... Uh, I understand you are students with a life outside of this game, so... Can we set, like, a time limit? Two mammoth caves. Oh, my God. One Grand Teton. But this makes the game more challenging, because now you have to memorize what each number is. Also BS, by the way. For the record, it was a Grand Teton, it just wasn't a seven. Mm. So you weren't lying. I wasn't lying. So So that does... BS on me. Oh, this changes the game. It does. It does. You know what that means. Well, I don't think I won. <laughs> was that 10 minutes already? Yeah, it was 10 minutes. Yeah, I did have a case. We are going to counter cards because we did not make it through the game. I have Lucas so many spread. cards, Four, I'm not five, even going to count. Seven, Lucas eight, is entirely losing. 11. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 11, 12, 13. Woo! Look for the record. Luca was losing until the very last round. But it doesn't matter how you perform when you play. It matters how you win. Right. Because we're in America, and that's how the world works. Oh, no. See, I planned it. I knew 10 minutes were about to be up, so I just went all in. Sometimes it takes an imposter to tell the truth. ASR producer Emily Miles brings us a story about one man who dressed as Jesus to high-five his way through a queer crowd of love and acceptance. So I'm all dressed in white with a, uh, like a maroon sash and a golden belt on, and uh, I made a, uh, I think they're willow branches that I formed into a, a crown. Doesn't have thorns on it, but it's like a wood, like a wood-woven crown. And then I'm carrying, I made a sign for the event, uh, which is a big poster board that I painted in the colors of the LBGT flag. And then I wrote the writing on it. It says in big letters, I'm with the LGBT folks. And then in smaller letters underneath, in parentheses, it says, high five me if you are too. So that's my get up for today. Uh, Yeah, so today we are uh, trying to keep people safe and buffered from the the hate that is uh, against Drag Queen Story Hour. I'm here in support of the queens, and uh, I wanted them to feel safe, and I want all the people who are here to feel safe. I was actually over here. There are people like uh, over here blocking the windows because the protest were putting up really nasty signs on the windows where the kids were playing. I'm against a window. There's like th- three sides of, or two sides of windows. We're kind of like in an L. And we're just trying our best to block anyone from getting in. But this lady has made her way in with her um, hateful sign. And so um, I was over there kind of supporting them, holding my sign, blocking it for a while too. And I guess one of the, the library workers here had seen me and wanted me to come in to take a picture with her. And so I, I went and took a high five picture with her like I've been dealing with everyone today too. So. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot 
lot of rainbows and colorful people who are really excited about uh, children and literacy and tolerance and diversity and equality. And I'm also seeing a lot of signs that say uh, bad words and um, people with megaphones who are saying things that are uh, a little not Christ-like. My mom and stepdad are on the other side of this rally. I don't know if my mom was here today, but my stepdad was here. And I've actually been, uh, my mom's been posting about the, like the opposition on Facebook, painting an inaccurate picture of what's going on here. And it's always like really upset me that they hold those kind of views. And so I've been trying to um, really have discussions about them. And like, I've really tried to listen to them and what they think is happening here and what their fears are that, and what you know I, and I don't fault those people I don't necessarily think that everything is hate based you know I think my mom I don't think my mom is a hateful person you know I think she's misguided by by religious dogma or I don't know I don't even know what to call it but and to see the more hateful group, I guess there's a group here called Warriors for Christ that is considered a hate group who's, if you can hear the megaphones in the background, is like they've been being really nasty. I know there's a sickness there that I'm trying to understand, you know, because like we don't heal things like that by you're wrong. You know, like it's like you got to like learn how to love those people, too, and try to understand where they're coming from. And some people you're never going to change, and you're never, but you can have compassion for them anyway. And that's what I really tried to do is not not come here out of a place of anger or where I'm going to, you know, tell someone that they're wrong or get in their face. Like I was here to support. I was here to support this event. I was here to support the kids that are going to be going in there and the families that are going in there. And I was here to support the LGBT community. I was here to support the other protesters. And what the other people are doing is really none of my business. Like I'm here. I'm just here to be a, a positive influence, and I'm trying, you know, know. I'm here because my grandpa always said, your right to swing your fist stops at my nose. And we're swinging our fists and stopping far short of their nose. Yeah. But when they swing their fists, uh, it hits us. You know, there's, a, there's been a lot going on here today. Um, I think first and foremost, it was really tremendous to see the amount of people that came out to go to the story hour. I have a lot of friends in the communities. I mean, it's... Come here, buddy. Stay over here. The, and I just wanted to come out and support everybody. And if we can get in and do story hour, great. If we can't, we'll go in and get our library card all set up for him and just have a good time and enjoy people. <laughs> I want him to. I, I want him to meet and see as many different kinds of people as I can, because everybody's different. Everybody's unique. And um, I think it was my friend counted yeah. up. He said, uh, <laughs> I guess they've done four sessions of 75 people each, which is 300 people that have gone in with their children, and they turned away 156 more from the line because they couldn't accommodate them. So there are 456 people here that came here to support this, which I think is incredible. And that was really powerful for me, too, because, you know, because there's one side where the supporters are protesting or in support. There's the other side where the demonstrations are going on or the megaphones. It's actually really well organized. It's, I mean, people are setting up their counterpoints. It's really loud. Um, I wish they I wish they had not allowed the, the bullhorns because the, the kids find the bullhorns kind of scary. That that freaked him out more than anything else is the 
the super loud bullhorns right next to the line. And there's this huge line of people and with their kids standing right in the middle of it, snaking all the way down around the building of people that, that actually wanted to come participate in this event, which I think shows like that we have a community that really is open to new experiences and to, and to supporting something different and, and not allowing these other people to intimidate them. And, you know, like there's a... Fuck. You know, there's a kid that killed himself. Like, on the other side of this building, the school, central school, where we're sitting right now, like, there's a kid who killed himself this last year on the front steps of this school because how he was treated there and how he was bullied. And, like, like, a lot of this isn't helping that, you know? Like, So, I've been a, I've been a professional storyteller in some capacity since I was about 15, and that whole time I've been transgender, and I, you know, I, I work with... I work with young kids every day. I love what I do. And you can ask anybody who's ever been to one of my story times. I don't mean to brag, but I'm good at this. I help kids learn to read. I don't tell them what to read. Um, I just teach them to love it. And if there are kids within that group who are transgender, who are LGBTQ and maybe haven't discovered that language yet to describe the feelings that they're having. I hope that they can remember their, their storyteller and the guy that read them books. And, um, and I hope they know that he's, uh, he's getting older but he's, and he's doing okay and that there is a future for them. There's so much power in that. And when you listen to somebody tell a story that way, there's no way, you, you know, if you're still against it after that, then, you know, you're really not loving people. You're really not listening to people. And, it, and the kind of love that is here today, a lot of it is, is abusive love. You know, it's not real love. And so, I don't know. I'm like, I'm like Jesus up on the sermon now. <laughs> There's no line. We just walked a bunch to their cars because they were leaving. Mm-hmm. And everything. this one lady's yelling over outside going, why are you queer baiting our kids? Queer baiting? Well, that's interesting. Jesus Christ is back. Jesus. <laughs> you know, I held my friend who was crying from how she was treated today. There is a lot of like intense emotion and hatred and tension going on here. And the more people that come out in loving support, you know, it's people in costumes, people holding signs, people smiling, me high-fiving everyone, people giving hugs, people taking pictures. The more of that that we have out here, like the easier it is, like, I would not have been able to been out here doing what I'm doing if it wasn't like the big mob of people that I went to recharge myself with because I would go walk around and I could feel the hatred on me from wearing the costume that I've worn today. I could feel like, I could feel the animosity. Like it's a life and death for some of these people that are here today. You know, some of my friends here today, it's life and death. I have a transgender friend who is, who fully expects to die from a hate crime. You know, and he lives with that fear every single day he walks around. He expects to be attacked. He expects to be beaten. And he expects to be killed eventually, you know. And, like, this is what these kids are living with, you know. And so we need to be out there supporting him. We need to be showing up for events like this. And we need to be carrying this message that we need, you know, of telling, you know, sit down and talk with people. You know, if you really love them the way you say that you love them, you know, don't sit down and preach at them with a megaphone or don't you know, trying to tell them how to live their life. Sit and talk with them first. 
like get to know who they really are as people. Because I feel like so many people are not doing that. They're getting caught up in the, the propaganda of it, the, the messaging of it, the media of it, but they're not sitting down and talking with people. And I think that's the most essential thing we can do besides like showing up and that's what heals it, but showing up and supporting is also a big part of it too, of, of letting these people, letting the LBC community know that we love them and we're here for them and we're ready to stand with them against. When someone thinks of the word imposter, you often think of a singular person presenting themselves in a way of falsehood, pretending to be someone that they're not. But what if an imposter is more than a singular person? And what if an imposter doesn't even realize that they're an imposter at all? Producer Jack Bassett takes a look at a career that is not always what it seems or is reflected to be with a trip to the barbershop. Hello, you've reached me with the barbershop. 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 Excuse Barbershop, how can I help you? Hi, you've reached Marnie at Colonial Barbershop. If I'm not answering the call, I'm probably cutting hair. So leave me a message and I'll get back to you. Or shoot me a text. Have a blessed day. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Hey, my name's Jack Fassett, and I was wondering if I could schedule a haircut with you and um, a deeply raw emotional session with you to reveal all my feelings and scars that I've been dealt with my whole life. If you give me a call back at 260-573-1913, I would appreciate it. In a weird way, getting a haircut and visiting a psychiatrist has a lot more in common than you first think. You spend about 30 minutes to an hour and a half, if you're on the needy end, every so often with both professions. You end up revealing more information than you ever imagined before you even walk in. And both your barber and your shrink don't really know you that well, yet you're willing to spill the beans to these prying strangers. With a haircut, there seems to be much more than what meets the eye. The profession of hair is more than just scissors against luscious locks. To see a deeper view of a profession we all use over and over, I've turned to the streets of countless hair salons and barbershops to gain perspective of what's rare with cutting hair. What better place to start than booking an appointment with my own hairstylist, Kelsey Pritchard, at Mardon Salon. You can do a great haircut and the conversation just isn't there so people won't come back. Um, you really do have to connect. That's a big part of it. The importance of knowing how to hold the conversation is just as valuable as a brush and comb for a stylist. It's just good to know that someone trusts me enough to like kind of tell me everything, like mental issues and like all of that crazy stuff um, because everyone goes through it and it's good to have someone to turn to. Not only do stylists get to aid advice, they get to hear the experiences that clients are willing to share. It's good to like learn everyone else's lives and kind of, oh my gosh, I have so many stories, it's crazy. For Kelsey, one experience stands out from the rest. And it really wasn't a story, this person was just very interesting. She told me that she was, she could see angels 
and she could she could read energies and stuff and she said that there are a bunch of angels all around us and that I was one and it was just really kind of strange. To make sure Kelsey and the Mardon team aren't outliers with odd client stories, I visited a crosstown Regis hair salon and asked stylist Lindsay to account a story of her own. I have this client that always has weird stuff to say, but one time he came in and he asked me if anybody's ever told me like that they've killed somebody, and I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he, he, he was like, I was like, do you have something to tell me? And he's like, well, I was just wondering, and he just went on to tell me that he really would like to kidnap somebody, not in a mean way, but in a nice way, and he would take them on dates and stuff, but <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> wow. I'm not sure if Lindsay just has the world's weirdest clients, or if that's common for the business. To better see a different perspective, I've turned to the nearest barber shop and walked in the doors. Clients will often come to you and talk to you about things that they don't normally talk to with anybody else. So as a barber, you're here to listen, and you're here to you know, try to give the best advice that you can, but also you're not supposed to give your personal opinion. But you're supposed to be there for them and, you know, just listen to how their day is going or how they feel on a daily basis. This is Clay, a young, quiet, skilled barber at Angela's Ebony Hair Design and Barbershop. By doing their hair, I feel like it's more on a personal level of getting to know them. And also they just, uh, sometimes they need to vent or they need to open up. And if you just sit there while 30 minutes in silence, is kind of awkward. So eventually they tend to say something. Clay explains the hidden, unwritten rules of working in a barbershop. You have to think of yourself as a public speaker, but you can't, you can't speak. That's basically what I'm saying. <laughs> I keep everything confidential because, like I said, it's like when you're talking to your doctor and everything, not everybody wants uh, their business to be told, so whatever we talk about just stays between me and them. These rules are not common hair law for the business, but they're etiquette. Learned from Clay from his history behind the barber chair. Uh, I grew up in a barber shop all my life, and also a hair salon. And uh, it's ran in my family for over 20-something years now. It's a great uh, environment to be around, and uh, everybody knows you even though you don't know them. Clay works side-by-side side with his mother, Angela, who passes her words of wisdom on to her son. Before leaving the barber shop, I took a second and turned to Clay's mom and shop owner, Angela. Hey, I know you're busy right now, but can you just say what you think of your son? Oh yeah, I'm very proud of my son. He's an awesome kid. I'm, um, hopefully when his mom is gone, he'll be able to take over and, and um, work the business, but he's doing excellent. I don't worry about him when he's here. He stepped into his shoes very well. <laughs> At this barbershop, a family connection, an unwritten code of ethics gives a new perspective to this line of work. With no hairstylist appearing the same, I decided to take in one final account of hair by visiting 30-year veteran Fritzy Phillips for one final takeaway. I'll tell you what, we are represented terrible on TV. I say it all the time when I'm watching a TV show or a movie. I'm like, where are the normal, real hairstylists on television? They all make us out to be stupid, bimbos, and hoes. And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> you know, that might be maybe 0.1% of any hairdresser I've ever met in my life. You know, most of us are, you know, average, ordinary people. We have families, we have friends, you know, we enjoy what we do, you know, you have to. Fritzy's frustration cements a takeaway 
that the career of haircutting is not what the average person assumes it to be. A barber and stylist works hard connecting with others. A life in a barber shop is connected to family and friendship. The power of haircutting has the power to transform someone's outlook on life. When you sit down for your next haircut, see your trim as something sharper than the scissors against your head. For American Student Radio, I'm Jack Bassett. If the past decade of pop psychology has taught us anything, it's that memories are tricky things. They can be implanted, altered by emotion, or they can simply erode away with time. In this piece, I wanted to take a look at my own memories, where they came from, and how they've helped me develop a relationship with my father 10 years after he passed. You know those childhood memories that are burned super deep in your brain? They don't really have a context, no time, no date, only a really deep nostalgic emotion. We popped a Beatles cassette in the boombox, adjusted our makeshift blanket capes, and got into formation. Then the show began. My brother hit play on the stereo, sending the Beatles studio-recorded acid trip, I Am the Walrus, echoing through our small house. My brother led the procession, throwing handfuls of pennies into the air. I followed shortly behind, rhythmically thrusting a coloring book into the air like I was a priest celebrating mass. It seems more and more like my early childhood was just one big fever dream. Between the I am the Eggman procession and hanging out at haunted houses, things were pretty non-traditional. I think I'd probably blame that on my dad. My dad was a character. My brother and I grew up on Wayne's World, horror movies, and DIY adventures. On rainy days, we'd rip styrofoam insulation off our garage walls and fashion it into sailboats that we'd race in a ditch. We'd build haunted houses in our basement and forage for arrowheads at a nearby native settlement. But he died when I was about eight or nine, right when my brain got smart enough to start remembering things. The memories I have of life with him are sparse, but pretty vivid. As I got older and more self-reflective though, I slowly started mentally compiling these memories, trying to piece together an image of my dad. All I had to work with was a few absurd memories, a couple pictures, and some stories from my mom and grandma. And then a weird thing started happening. You know when you read a book and get so immersed in it that you remember it as a movie? You remember everything in full color, the faces and emotions and the scenery. That started happening with my family's memories of my dad. I started to internalize them, remembering them as my own, using them to fill in my blanks, not even fully realizing how many blanks needed to be filled. The lines blurred between my own memories and the memories of others. I started to question how genuine these memories were if they weren't mine to be had. Was my sentimentality over my dad invalidated? Did I curate a relationship that was and would never be entirely real? You know, intuitively I felt that I was getting closer to my dad. But maybe I was just getting closer to the idea of him. It just doesn't feel right that I've developed a sentimental relationship with someone who's been dead for over a decade. It just doesn't work that way. I think what frustrates me the most is that all of these memories aren't from the perspective of a starry-eyed little kid. I get stories from my grandma about how rebellious he was, stories about his personality and temperament from my mom. 
but I only have so many sailboat race memories. Memories where I looked up at him in awe, where he was a six and a half foot tall bringer of fun and joy and Chuck E. Cheese tickets. In a way, I feel like the image of my dad that I'm creating for myself is less of a memory and more an emotional monument to my father. I'm reconstructing a life story so that all he was can continue to exist. So that I can still feel like that starry-eyed kid, full of complete awe when he'd win a thousand Chuck E. Cheese tickets or dig up a handful of glassy obsidian arrowheads. But I guess we all wish we could be that kid again. For American Student Radio, this is James Keyes. Are Instagram posts and Facebook updates honest reflections of ourselves? Or are they just PR stunts? In this next piece, producer Nora Ahmed talks about having different versions of yourself and what it means to be authentically you. Margaret is just so down to do everything. She's very enthusiastic, devout vegan, extremely nice, psychology major that can apply everything she learns to real life immediately. Kind of scary. It makes me introspect more than I would like to. And there's also something interesting about Margaret. She has chronic migraines. And I thought it would be interesting to just look at Margaret's social media and see how that reflects her real life. So Margaret, how do you perceive your own Instagram feed? Honestly, I don't even know. I definitely have pictures from nature, which is like something that I love. So I think that it represents that aspect of me. I thought it would be interesting to choose one of Margaret's pictures and talk about the before and after of it. So this is a picture of Margaret. She's on like a suede colored couch. She's in all black, just lazing about. She mm-hmm. looks very fashionable and just good in general. <laughs> like Thank she could you. just be in a magazine like this. So what was the before and after of this picture? Okay. So the day before this, I got my wisdom teeth out and Basically, the night that I got my wisdom teeth out, I ended up getting a really bad migraine and I was hospitalized because the pain of both together was really severe. And then because of the medication that I was on for my wisdom teeth, I couldn't take some of my migraine medication. So it was all just a mess. So I spent the night in the hospital or just like a few hours in the hospital that night and then came home. And on the day of this party, my mom was like, hey, we have a Christmas party that we need to go to tonight. And I was like super excited exhausted my cheeks were gigantic and I was just like I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get it together to go to that party but I guess I'll try and so I got ready and I went over there and I was still not feeling well at all I did have a migraine come back that evening but it wasn't as bad and I was just really trying to like stick it out through this party and then I sat down and I was just like being like goofy and dramatic and one of my friends that I'm really close with just started like taking these funny pictures and I ended up posting one with the caption peep the puffy wisdom cheeks so that people would know that I had just gotten my wisdom teeth out. 
So what I'm curious about with the, you posted about your wisdom teeth being taken out, why did you <laughs> omit that you were having like a debilitating migraine? Like, why is that such an omission of all of your yeah. social media, even though on this day that it was like really difficult for a lot of factors, you know, migraines, your wisdom teeth being taken out, not being able to take certain medications because of that. Why did you say, well, I'll talk about my wisdom teeth because people can relate to that. Everybody yeah. gets their wisdom teeth out, but yeah. you said, oh no no migraines on Instagram. Honestly, I'm not sure why I do this. I think part of it is because I am like fearful of explaining everything or not like fearful of it, but I just like, I think that if I were to talk about my migraines, I would want to talk about a lot of different aspects of them. And I just like, that's not, Instagram's not really the place for that. How do people react when you tell them in real life that you have chronic migraines? Um, in a variety of ways. Sometimes they're confused and sometimes I can tell that they are relating it to like experiences that they've had or that they've heard of, which often leads to a misinterpretation of what it's actually like. So I always find it a little bit difficult in conversation to be like, oh, it's actually a really debilitating neurological disorder that affects me in these ways, in these ways, in these ways. Because a lot of times people just think, oh, you get pretty bad headaches a couple times a year. And that's not necessarily an accurate representation of what it is either. Do you not share about having an invisible disability because of the dismissive nature of basically people saying, well, you know, I've had a migraine once in my life. Like, why are you complaining about it? I don't know. I, I'm not really sure why I am so aversive to sharing about my migraines on Instagram. But also, I think for some reason, I feel like people will think I'm being dramatic. And I think that people will think that I'm just like taking this thing that everybody has and making it into like a severe condition for me because they're not aware that like migraine headaches are a chronic neurological disorder. I've always wanted my Instagram to be more like true to who I am because I've seen other people's Instagrams like that and it's like really cool when people are sharing. But I don't know why it's really difficult for me to like post a picture and be like, so I've been struggling with chronic migraines for 13 years and blah. Because, like, I think I have probably just picked up on judgments of other people, maybe through, like, high school or other things where people criticize what other people put on their Instagrams. And so I've probably had that conditioned into me, which makes me more fearful of just, like, actually sharing what's going on. I think that this interview has brought to my attention that I don't really have any solid reason for not sharing them, um, other than it's just been, like, what I've done. Like, I just can completely avoid that part of my life on this sort of platform which is really easily controllable because I get to decide what I say and which pictures I post so I get to manage my impression a bit more but I think that it could be really cool to get like a little bit deeper in my Instagram and just like allowing people to understand who I am more in a variety of different directions not even just pertaining to my migraines. Thanks for tuning in this week folks. We'll catch you in two weeks from now when we talk about letting go 